Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Past the compressor. You are the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host, the only man who can make Maul's spider legs look sexy, it's... Wow, got it in one, and I'm glad we did. Holy cow. You said you wanted an intro. You always complain that I don't intro you. Nope, nope. I would have preferred we did that one in no takes. (laughs) She's just jealous because I can rock it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Eight legs all the way. Uh, and, of course, that other voice that you hear is our dear friend and co-host. She is as amazing as Omega and the Mars Tez sisters at Disney World. It's Lindsay. <laughs> I want to say thank you, but I feel like there is a part of the fan base that's going to be like, oh, so Lindsay sucks. <laughs> well, <laughs> they are the wrong. Boo. They are the wrong part of the fan base. They can click unsubscribe. please don't we want you here (laughs) do we do we send all your tweets to at the drew brett what's your thing again (laughs) i don't know your twitter handle anymore (laughs) send them to zach just send them to zach at sith talker 25 (laughs) i still get notifications for that and then i go to open it up and it's like you're locked out of your account i'm like then stop sending me notifications Oh man! Look at all the fun you're missing. <laughs> it's just, it's like, is everyone hanging out without me? Pretty much. Oh, Mark still runs the, the place. All right, guys, tonight we are going to be looking at our best and butts, our best and worst crossover characters in Star Wars. So these are going to be characters that have crossed mediums, so like from TV shows to movies or books to animation, that kind of thing. Um, And of course, you know, we've got this ever-expanding universe of Star Wars, so these characters are becoming more and more prominent. So it's going to be a lot of fun to dig into what works and what doesn't in that regard. However, it is not quite that time yet it is time for you yes you're still subscribed so now go over and subscribe for as little as a dollar to our patreon and support our literacy initiative to put star wars books into classrooms your donations are 100 percent tax deductible drew will send you a receipt or at least he tells me he does i'm assuming he does you would know brandon you would know brandon if you were a patreon member <gasps> wow oh, for shame for shame because no, you if you get one of my super cool letters, you would know it. Okay. Um, well. But are we not going to acknowledge that he just did for shame as though he didn't just watch Hamilton? <laughs> you have to do it in the, for in the, shame. In the right key. In the right key now, come on. I can never for do shame. anything in the right key. There you go, Lindsay. Lindsay's got it. I gotcha. So you can get one of Drew's really cool letters, um, and it will probably tell you that every penny that you donate goes to buying and shipping those books. So go on over there, help us out, and while you're doing that, you can listen to us talk about what we are Star Warsing lately. So Lindsay, what have you been Star Warsing lately? So as always, I feel I feel like I'm the worst to ask this question to because it is always strictly whatever has recently come out. 
Like I've been, I've been catching up with or staying on top of Bad Batch. I've been staying on top of, you know, any comics that come out and just, I don't know. Drew always has like these amazing throwback answers and things that he's going back and revisiting. And I'm just like, whatever came out last week. Well, we, I rely on that information from you to know exactly what's happening. That's fair. <laughs> it's a balance. I'm I'm waiting for that omnibus of the High Republic comic book to come out, so I don't have to look at individual issues. Are you oh, reading those? Yeah. I am. I am, and I got to figure out too. There's some kind of issue with my comicsology, and thank God Brandon was the one to point it up because I just pre-order everything, so I don't even stay on top of like what's coming out when. Oh, I just I just wake up Wednesday mornings and I log in and I'm like, okay, great, this one's on my on my iPad. I can read it now. But then he asked me a question about one. I was like, what? <laughs> did, I, did I miss one? Did you, uh, Drew, did you hear about that particular comic that she's referring to? Do you know what she's talking about? If you give me the name of the comic. The War of the Bounty Hunters. Yeah, I did hear about that. That's fine. <laughs> and you know, you know who the appearance was and all of that stuff? Yeah, I'm okay. on the internet. It's <laughs> I mean, I, I will say my Twitter feed did a really good job of not spoiling it. Like, to this day, I don't think I've seen maybe one or two, but I had to go search, like, articles to find a a screen oh, grab really? of it. Yeah, yeah, because oh, I asked like Lindsay, that's... because I was like, is this worth me taking the time to read? And she's like, I have no idea. And so that's when I went and looked for who the character was, and... I can t- I get like Google updates like you know a thousand times a day it turns out and I really need to figure out how to shut them up because one of them was you know a special guest at the end you know with the mm. name right there blank returns in end of blank blank blah, 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 blah. and I was like okay cool so I was like I'm never gonna read this let me click on it and look at it so I did and I did and that you know I was left with exactly the same impression beforehand it's 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 just not for me and that's okay because there's an entirely different comic run series that is for me that I'm just waiting on that omnibus for. <laughs> That's fair. And I feel like like that character's return is like a good sign for future storytelling that people have been craving. So I'm excited in that regard. And I'll probably, because of that, I'll probably read it once it comes out um, in an omnibus. But what the, do you uh, think is the time... What is the time frame for comic spoilers, do you think? What is the appropriate length of time to go from release day plus how much? That is such a good question. Well, and I would honestly say when the, vo- when the volumes come out, I would say like a week after the volume itself comes out, not individual okay. issues. Ooh, see, I would, say, I would say after a week after the individual issues because as somebody who doesn't, read it until the volume comes out because I won't remember from week to week and don't have the time from week to week to read. I accept that because I'm not going to take the time to reread every issue before to read the new issue on Wednesdays that spoilers are going to happen and that I have to be okay with that. So like if I cared enough about it, then I would find a reason or a means to, to read them within that first week that they came out. That's that's my point of view on it. Is I love, I love that we switched. So I'm the one who reads them week to week, and I'm like, no spoilers, and you don't read them right? week to week, and you're like, yes, please, spoilers. Well, it's like it's like what people are like, you know, when the movie uh, comes out, you know, and they haven't seen it after a week. It's like, well, why are you on the internet? Like, get off Twitter, delete it off your phone. Like, mm. 
there, yeah, there is a little bit of self you know, personal responsibility right. that we have to take. But at the same time, I think collectively it's good to make sure that we know what are the public boundaries to say. Like, oh, we really shouldn't be like I haven't watched the most that episode the seventh episode of Bad Batch yet, the one that just came out earlier today. Right. Um, but already know the majority of what's happened because StarWars.com put out a little, you know, 15 mm-hmm. second clip thing. And I was like, okay, thanks. Appreciate it, guys. That's awesome. Well, Wonderful. it's like for me, Wonderful. you know, not watching the trailers, like I have to be proactive about muting certain words. And if I see a picture, just, you know, I've trained to myself to scroll quickly, like to not, you know, like things like that. Like you have to be responsible for your own you know, um, access to spoilers, I guess, in a I sense. Mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's because it's almost impossible to 100, unless you just disconnect from the internet entirely. Like, I don't really know how else you, you would, you got to I mean, be pretty active in your uh, avoidance of things, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I think Mark, I think, did like a week before Nine came out or something like that, maybe a month before Nine came out, where he completely deleted Twitter off his phone. So, like, you, if you really are that serious about it, then, you know, you can. Like, for me, I know, like, let's say, you know, a trailer comes out, like, if I see a video playing, like, I'm obviously not going to click on it. But I know, like, when TLJ came out, I had seen images of, like, Kylo where he's standing facing the, uh, like, all the walkers being built. And I'm pretty sure I saw a couple things of of Ray on Octo. And it's just like, okay, like, I'm just not going to read what it says or get any context or anything. Like, you know, you just kind of have to be, to me, you have to be realistic. And, like, if, if this character that we were talking about in the comic had come back in, let's say, Bad Batch, and it had been ruined within the first weekend you know, considering it comes out on Friday, like, okay, I, I would have a serious problem with that. But I think with a comic, you know, considering that, you know, you especially that you can read them digitally. So it's not like it's like you still have to go to the store and get them. Um, a week to me seems, seems fair. Fair enough. Good to know. So take that into mind, internet friends. Speaking of um, returning characters, guys, I am Star Wars. And Drew, you said you've watched the previous episode of Bad Batch, right? Not this one. Uh, I have watched now the first six. I had to okay. binge like three of them in a night because for about three weeks I was just like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> well, then you know the Martez sisters are back and I love them so much. Was that in the right key? I have maybe the floor. No. This is the closest thing. But- okay, cool. <laughs> I As someone who just compares them, though, I'm happy you feel so passionately about them. Guys, they don't get enough credit. <laughs> they do not get enough credit. Like, and I, I'm really hoping they're not done in Bad Batch because I am like so excited to have more content with these characters. Who, to me, like they don't just show the every man, every woman. They are characters that have changed and Spice grown. Yeah, um, they've changed and grown a lot, right? Like, I don't think we see such a clear change as much in um, in Star Wars from these people who were hurt by the Jedi, became disenfranchised with everything, and now that they there's been this transition to the Empire, like, they know they have to do something, which, you know, we... 
we get a lot of people that were, you know, um, hurt by the the fall of the Republic. You know, not a lot of people who were hurt by the Jedi. We get a lot of um, characters who have gone from full dark side to to light side. Um, but we don't get a lot of these characters that were, you know, disenfranchised with the war. But then something new comes in instead of what most people do uh, or did rather of like, all right. The Republic was kind of sucking. Let's give this empire a go that they realize what's wrong um, and that they have to do something about it. And just all of it. I just, I love it. I love it. I honestly, like I had to scream about it to somebody and thankfully Adriana didn't care about spoilers because I was like, I need somebody who will be as excited. These characters are back as I am. Uh, So hopefully we get some more of those characters. I'm very excited about them. And I feel like, having the character posters of them is at least a good sign that they are committed to um, not just letting these be bland, nothing side characters, even if they don't come back, that they are a sign of, of things to come. So Martez sisters for life. Um, getting that tattooed right on my neck later tonight. Uh, Drew, what have you been, uh, what have you been star warsing of late? Well, I, t- I did have to catch up on The Bad Batch. Um, so now there's just today's episode that I'll, I'll try and, and, and find time for eventually. Um, I have been very disappointed in my kids. Um, Haven't we all? <laughs> wow. I <laughs> didn't no need for you to project like that, but all right. Yeah, you, like, okay. you put them to bed, though, right? They're not like in the... <laughs> In the room with you now. No, they're right here. Why? What do you you, know, you want to talk to them? Yeah. Oh, I I meant I meant disappointed in children in general overall. Um, yeah. Okay. So you're not suffering from any. Okay. Good. 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 Um, my seven year old has fallen in love with the Ewoks cartoon from the eighties. I don't like to say very often that things are just bad because it's it doesn't seem very... There's got to be better ways to say something about a project or work that somebody has put time and effort into. You know, somebody in the, in the day was proud of their work for this particular entry into whatever. So I don't really like saying anything is bad, except the Aftermath trilogy. Um, this Ewok show is... <laughs> unwatchable <laughs> it is rough um and i'm hoping it just has it's just a result of of having aged so so far from where it came from but he loves it i and i don't know he's too young to like to to watch things ironically to like hate watch them but i think that's what he's doing because he knows how ridiculous it is but he still watched he's watched like the entire first season of it already um it's insane how much he's watched of it uh, what else have we been doing? The, uh, they've both been really enjoying the Bad Batch. Both of the boys have been, uh, every Friday, wake up, and it's the first thing that they want to do, which was rough when school was still in session. But they, when they watch the new episode that comes out, they will watch in reverse order every other episode that is already available. So like for today, they watch the seventh, and then they watch the sixth and the fifth one. <laughs> and they'll do that for as long as no one will tell them to turn the TV off. It's crazy. Um, but they're loving it. Um, Toby got his first Black Series toy. We found Crosshair out in the open, out in the wild. So he was really excited about that. So that's kind of what we've been doing in our house lately. 
do they have like a a certain character that they are gravitating towards? Um, Toby likes he likes tech for some reason. Um, I don't know about Holden if if he's got a particular favorite. They all kind of just like the, the adventure, the the uh, action, the excitement about it. Um, so they've gotten really involved in kind of like they're starting to get to the point where we'll get the books from the library of just like, you know, they have like the DK readers um, where they'll go and they'll look and just read specs on ships and what, you know, how many pieces of armor does a stormtrooper have in there? Wow. Apple and tree. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) What nerds. Well, tell them if they would like to look at the symbolism and allegory in each episode, they can go and do so at ClashingSabers.net. I'm going to wait for them to be be able to spell the word allegory, and I don't let them on the internet by themselves, because that's just not safe. Um, And by the way, the clone troopers have 20 pieces of plastoid armor uh, in their outfit, but the Imperial Stormtroopers have 18. I didn't know that. So now, Brandon, if that was in your list of questions you were going to ask in the upcoming trivia tournament you want to host, uh, give them to me. Got it. Um, marking it in my book now. Um, He's waving his hand in the air. Right it's next amazing. to yeah. Goes to Mark. Yeah. Fortuna. <laughs> so can we talk about that episode of The Bad Batch? We can talk about it. Everything about the Bad Batch. What would you I was like about to, to say? Don't say anything. Don't say you, we talk about whatever you want. Bold no. their friend. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you guys feel about Moochie the Rancor? <laughs> <laughs> and why does Lindsay have the appropriate response? <laughs> Here's a look. And I, go for it, Bay. Go for it. I will say this. Um, I like Moochie a lot more after this episode that came out. Um, Oh, really? Yes, because I think... I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't, like, really spoil anything. I think the way that it connects... I just... Wait, 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 wait. Before we do this, I want to remind everyone that you unironically said that the best short story in the um from a certain point of view for empire strikes back was in fact the tauntaun yeah so you, so with you that in mind please explain why why you enjoy moochie the rancor i enjoy moochie <laughs> because rancor is the dumbest phrase i've ever said <laughs> i oh. no it's not <laughs> No, it's not. Oh, that's fine. No, that's coming. Don't worry. I've got one that's gonna. We're gonna talk later. I think. I think Moochie is a metaphorical connection to Wrecker, um, and it supports an idea that they are emphasizing throughout um, the greater story about monsters and the monsters within. Um, so I like it in that aspect. Um, other than that, I think I think I would have liked it more if it really was the Rancor in Return of the Jedi, just because I like those cool little things. So oh, is, it, is it? Wait, is it not? No, there somewhere in canon apparently there's another name for that Rancor, and that Rancor is female, and Muchi is male, or vice versa, one or the other. Yeah. They are opposite genders. Um, okay. so, and Drew, I, real quick though, can you wake up one of your kids and have them oh 
go along with Brandon. And while Brandon's talking about the monsters within, just I want to hear what, what your kids think and why they like Mochi. <laughs> yes, let me go wake my children <laughs> up, which is also the. It'll be worth it, I you promise. <laughs> you going to come back to me? Jeez. No. <laughs> Side, sidebar we just finished reading the fifth harry potter book for our bedtime stories like maybe a week Ooh. ago or something and i forgot that goblet of fire is where jk rowling finally figured out she could get paid by the word instead of it by the actual story um holy cow <laughs> those books take a lot all right continue look it's a kid show I think we all need to kind of keep yes. that in mind with any criticism of it. Um, I think it, it plays into its audience. The, the boys loved it. So I think you're absolutely right. They thought yep. it was hilarious. But I also think we need to be careful about this. It's a kid show thing because like, Technically speaking, look. That's how that's how Rebels started. That's how Clone Wars started. If this, that's how Star Wars for me, started. it's just that. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Like for Siege me, of Mandalore a- is is a kid show. Like, um, <laughs> Ahsoka cutting off five Mandalorian heads at the same time happens on a kid. Show. Like, I but look. This this is the the differentiator for me at least is with those quote unquote kid shows. Clone Wars, Rebels, even to a point in Resistance, had extremely likable characters. I still think that the Bad Batch is kind of just annoying. Ooh. Shots fired. Yeah. I'm I'm (laughs) interested. Yeah, she says. Come at me, bro. Strong. (laughs) Make me defend it. Yeah, what what makes you say that, then? I, I just hate, like, the... This was even my issue with with when they we were introduced to them, and I I was hoping it would have fizzled down by now, but the whole action figure where you know, okay you know in Toy Story where you pull Woody's string and he has like those five phrases that he cycles through, that's how I feel about the Bad Batch, and I hate mm. that. Like I hate those those caricature parts of every single one of these guys. That's a good point, Brenda. We talked about that before the sh- this show even started. How we were kind of concerned that they were just going to be those archetypes, you know, those those tropes, you know, personified in the characters. And and I, I mean, Lindsay's right. They've definitely leaned into those, except for the part where Hunter loses. The show Omega. is better like, than I. That's yeah. The I will say between Hunter and Omega, the show is a lot better than I was expecting it to be. But there's still a lot that annoys me. Where it's not like Clone Wars or you know, Mandalorian where I am up at 3 a.m. every Friday to watch it multiple times before work. This is, this is really like the first show in a while where it's like, you know what? I'll get to it this weekend when I get to it. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I get what you're saying and I don't disagree. I think the text definitely supports that, but at the same time, um, you know, we are seven episodes into a 16 episode season you know, when you take into account that the first episode was 71 minutes long, you're looking at more like 17 or 18 episodes. So we haven't reached the the halfway mark. We haven't reached the pin- fair. pinnacle crisis. Yeah. yeah. So like, I think that big change is still coming, especially with what happened in this most recent episode and um, kind of what it's going to allow for their individuality and stuff. I think we're going to get a lot more of Crosshair um, in these upcoming episodes that is really going to challenge the 
kind of archetypes and stereotypes that these characters are. Um, I think as we get more of Omega, you know, the same thing will happen. It'll challenge their beliefs and their identity and stuff, and we'll get a lot more of that um, evolution for those characters. Now, there's also an equal chance that in, what, 11 weeks I could be eating my words. So, like, I think it's fair, you know, the, the coin could fall on either side of the line right now, but I think it's too early to say that it's <laughs> this is just the way that they are. I mean, I, I hope you're right. I mean, like, you, you had said that we're barely 50% through, so there's still time for to go, but I'm kind of on the opposite side of the exact same statement. We're 50% through. Like, we're halfway through this thing. Like, think about where, where we were halfway through Mandalorian first season. We are like, people were completely bought in by the time we got to that like that's where you're talking about when the he he was at the planet with the atst so i mean that's kind of the level of where we were in that show time wise we're about to hit that same spot like i don't know if it's necessarily we got to step it up or do something that has to, something has to change or whatever because I, we're already 50 percent through and and a lot of us well i won't say a lot of us I, I am definitely in Lindsay's camp of like, I went three weeks without watching an episode and don't feel like I missed anything. Or let me, let me rephrase that. I don't feel like I missed out on anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, I definitely think that there are, I think that they could have made this a lot tighter of a story. I think when we look back at the arc of the whole season, I am kind of wondering to go back to Moochie, like what that Rancor thing is really going to mean for them um, and things like that. Like, I feel like one thing that, you know, Mandalorian, I feel like does really, really well is it gives us like one thing to cling to that's going to lead to the next episode. You know, like he has the yeah, the exactly. adventure of the week, but at the end, it all kind of culminates in this one thing that's going to take us to the next thing. And that, yes. and I think the last couple episodes have done that. You know, the um, Martez sisters led into what happened in this episode, and then what happened in this episode, I think, will be a direct tie into the decisions that they make in the next episode. At least I, at, at, let me rephrase that. It should. They're at the point in the season where it should. Everything going forward should be relevant and should matter. But if you look at like even the beginning of Rebels, you know, first seven episodes, mm -hmm. you know, like episode two of Rebel, like Spark of Rebellion, fantastic. Episode two was with the R2 and 3PO. And then the next episode with Zeb and Ezra, like going for Melu run and goofiness. And at the end of the season, though, yeah. you look back on it and you go, oh, each of those things gave us one thing to cling on to, which is kind of a Star Wars animation uh, you know, speciality. Sith Lords are our speciality. I, I just think it's a good limit, litmus test too. If in three, four weeks from now they follow through with that, then yeah, it's going somewhere. If they don't follow through with that though, it's uh, maybe a red flag. Totally fair. Totally fair. All right. Uh, we will come back to that in three or four weeks. And right now we will take a break. And when we come back, we are going to look at some of the best and worst crossover characters in Star Wars. It was a wise decision for you to surrender. I didn't have much choice. Oh, nonsense. You could have chosen to let your people die. However... You chose to be a Jedi. Predictable. You follow a long history written by the Jedi where they choose what they believe to be morally correct instead of what is 
strategically sound. And yet the Jedi have survived. Hmm. The Jedi once numbered in the thousands. What's left are a scattered, frightened lot. Mostly beaten and in hiding or poorly trained children like yourself. Now to the matter at hand for the night, which is to talk about some crossover characters. So... When we were coming up with this idea, we were considering what qualifies as a crossover character um, and what qualifications we were going to put to that. For me, a crossover character is a character that's gone from one medium to another. So not a character that's gone from movie to movie, but a character that went from movie to book or comic to TV series, so on and so forth. So as a an example, Han Solo going from the saga to his own standalone film does not qualify as a crossover, but his move from a movie to a comic would qualify. So um, it's 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 a broad a broad term as far as I'm concerned, um, and that's the angle that I am looking at through looking at it through and how well they um, move from one to the other. So. Drew and then Lindsay, I want you to share yours after uh, after Drew does. Drew, what are your qualifications for a crossover character? Hmm. Well, since you guys all yelled at me last time for coming up with the rules, it's really interesting that you started off with some of your own. Nice. I appreciate and applaud that. Um, I kind of took it at face value, where you start with one particular character, like you said, in the in one particular meeting, their first appearance, and then that character gets further developed or used in other storytelling methods and mediums. So your example of, of Han is a pretty good one. Um, some of them are hard to like and seem like pretty obvious ones. I try to count and look at more of the ones that occurred more often. So did they appear in books and comics and games and radio dramas and this, that, the other thing? Do they appear more frequently or does this person regular is this person relegated only to one particular thing and that's really it also looked at kind of the popularity and the frequency of appearances so somebody who showed up in one book in one series of legends 15 years ago and we only just heard about them now may not make the cut nearly as strong with one one exception to this rule um may not appear as high on the list as somebody who like you said appeared all of the time for the past 40 something years so are you looking at legends and canon or are you just looking canon? Cause I'm just looking oh, at, bro, canon. I started in 1977 and worked okay. all the way forward. Fair, fair. Lindsay, what are your qualifications? I'm a real, fan yeah. So I kept it as canon. Um, and I will say it's interesting cause B I had pretty much the same qualifications as you did where it really is medium to medium. Um, not necessarily, TV show to TV show, you know, for example, the Martez sisters would not qualify because it's just one animated TV show to another animated TV show. Um, so I did it really based on that. I never even thought though to include like the original, like core characters, you know, obviously they, they cross over. I kind of kept it as, anyone we were not introduced to in one of the Skywalker saga movies, they can be in them, but we weren't introduced to them that way. Um, so that was my, my qualification only because I didn't even think of it that way. When you say cross medium, we're going to look at these characters. 
Oh wait, actually that's a lie. I have one exception, but she's certainly not a main character in the in the Skywalker saga by any means. Um <laughs> so I guess I guess I did it that way, and it worries me that Drew's throwing in here the the you know radio dramas and whatnot. Um, but mine was pretty pretty much I think what you would expect when we say crossing medium. I also didn't necessarily eliminate anyone because they weren't in you know enough. We haven't seen them in enough movies, TV shows you know, video games, whatever it is only because it's easier for me to make the argument if we've seen them in more. Um, so that was not necessarily a rule, but it guided me a little bit more. Okay. And so we're going to kind of mix it up a little bit on this episode and we're just going to go with one of our best and one of our worst. So I know drew, you mentioned that you had some honorable mentions, um, and Lindsay, it sounds like you might have some too. So as far as your butts, as far as your worst crossover characters, Drew, what's your, who do you have on your honorable mentions? Mm, are you sure you want to start this way where people can yell at me for things? I mean, we're going to have them yell at you. And then those that stick around are the <laughs> one, those are the ones that stick around are your real friends, Drew. Wait, I have oh, to say okay. though, I real before we even begin, I really like this topic because my best list is is so long and there's so many characters who I think were really well done. And it actually took a lot for me to figure out who I didn't necessarily like. Um or who yeah. wasn't successful, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Narrowing it down to just one was pretty mean spirited and uncalled for, Brandon. I uh, I'm vengeful. <laughs> Well, okay. Um, I will give you one honorable mention because it really is just the most wackadoo thing, I think, on the planet Earth. And I'm not even sure this really counts. So that's why I didn't want to put it entirely on the list because it doesn't cross over nearly as much as it does. Takes an idea from an earlier source and just completely warps it beyond reason. What do you guys know about the mother? And by that... I mean, amount of silence. That's awesome for radio dramas. I was, I, I was gonna say, Mother Towson originally. You know, what, I mean, I oh, usually close. think of like, uh, you know, mm. trauma and therapy and 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 other things. <laughs> okay, listen. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know we were going all Freud here. Okay, lay down on this couch and let me take out my notepad. No, I'm talking about. You guys know the father, <laughs> the son, and the daughter pretty well. You might remember them, okay, yeah. this, right? But what do you guys know about the mother? Essentially, so, nothing. Yeah, you and everybody. Wait, else. sorry, is your worst list based on characters who just don't exist? Was this an option? No. <laughs> so, in one of the series of books that rounded out just before the Legends series was uh, put out to pasture, you know, mercifully. Um, there's a character called Abeloth, and I'm going to go and spoil the whole legacy of the Jedi series. So if you haven't read that, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going to be just fine, let me tell you. Um, so this is a book series that occurs 40 years after Return of the Jedi. Um, Mara Jade is already dead. Again, spoilers. Uh, Jason Solo is dead. Anakin Solo is dead. There's, it's, it's bad. The main characters are like in their 60s by now. Actually, they're a bit older than that, I suppose. So... Abeloth is this power of immense power, this creature of immense power and unreasonableness and, and all kinds of just nonsense. But it turns out they went back to the Mortis story 
and they added another character. And she started it out as the servant. She, and she would serve the son and the daughter. And then the, the servant would grow in the relationship and they would all come to love each other so much that she was basically promoted to be the mother. And she kept the peace between those three characters. It completely destroys a lot of what Mortis really meant to express. And I think they're, people were kind of hoping they would never notice because this occurs between Clone Wars and Rebels, kind of in that weird spot in between. Uh, when Rebels, we know that the Mortis family comes back a little bit, especially in the iconography towards the end of the show. Well, eventually she becomes so obsessive with the family and she drinks basically from the font of power, which is, yeah, that would be your tree of knowledge of good and evil, basically. So she ascends into this god figure called Abeloth. And from there, she, she just wrecks all kinds of havoc. She is expelled from Mortis. And she is imprisoned in, I think, it's not in the black holes of Kessel, but somewhere else. I'm not really sure. But she ends up poisoning Jason Solo, the son of Han and Leia, and it just goes horribly wrong. So the crossover here is really the Mortis family because it started in Clone Wars and it, you would have thought it ended there, but they, when they took it back into the book series, it just went haywire and it was not a good <laughs> not a great decision and it was really really strange when we all started to put the puzzle pieces together and realize what they were actually doing within the context of the series of books it's wild and if you want a wild ride go for it because if you think that's crazy that's not even the weirdest things that happen in that series of nine books so now you know the honorable mention and i will pass it over to Lindsay and not take questions at this time <laughs> that was that was something um that was <laughs> it's you know, i feel, I feel like you for. were like i can't pick one thing to hate so i'm really gonna stretch this out and I come up with some so weird convoluted ways it, i know it's i don't like know man but it's still dream on the air but it's it's all there it does know. it does I, th- I you know what you said it not me i'm happy so- I'm not the one you who can identify this and put a, a series of books behind it, which I all read. I read them all like the day they came out. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm I just sorry. still feel like the way you tie it in still, still a stretch. It still just seems like you are just dying for something to hate. Hence the honorable mention and not included in the list. That's what that's. So that's a, I'm, I'm going to pass on my honorable mention strictly because I think, think my my option is going to piss off enough people i'm going to pass on any honor <laughs> all right well then let's go go with your uh, go with your gut here yeah, what do you got doing yeah you're doing the We're thing doing okay drew, drew did you have any other honorable mentions before before we kick this into, into high oh, year no i i want to save all of my hate mail for later on let's go all right dope i pick thrawn yeah, oh, buddy. Yeah, oh. I do because wait, wait, wait. It is. It's no secret. Like I'm not the biggest fan of the Thrawn books. Even in Legends, I, I in Legends, I'm a huge fan of the Thrawn books. Not a huge fan of the Thrawn character, and that is for a lot of reasons that are irrelevant to this argument. I don't even want to bring them up because the reasons why I, I don't like him in the book in my opinion, are irrelevant to why he's a bad crossover character. 
I think he oh, is a bad crossover character because it is so inconsistent with what we say. The comics are pretty much an adaptation, right? Like that's that's you can't get too crazy, you can't get too far away. But the Thrawn we see in the books and the comics versus the Thrawn we see in Rebels are so vastly different mm-hmm. that I have to say he is the the worst, not the worst character, but the worst crossover from what we see from medium to medium. Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly... I have somebody else, but I completely agree with everything you said because for me, Thrawn is the, I mean, the worst part of Rebels, which I mean, I know like I love Rebels and I'm sure I can pick other things, but really it's the only major thing that I have problems with is Thrawn's edition. Other than what happens at the end of the series. I I do like how they decided to end it with him and Ezra. Other than that, there's nothing about his involvement that I think is worthwhile or intimidating. I think the fact that you have to have, you know, Governor Price come in at the end and basically be the, the ultimate villain of those last few episodes is an indication of how weak of a character Thrawn is in the series. And I, I think disagree with that. Mm, he's he has become and this is interesting. This is something that that Lindsay and I are going to get into when we um, talk about the new uh, Thrawn book um, on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. But I won't go too deep into spoilers. Like if you want to avoid everything, like skip ahead 30 seconds. There's an actual conversation in the new Thrawn book where two characters discuss how unbeatable Thrawn is because he always figures things out no matter what, and they can't beat him. Like, that's literally the conversation that they have. So you go, you have that character who is an overbearing Mary Sue in the books, and I don't use that term Mary Sue lightly. I use it very intentionally, to this mustache-twirling character in Rebels where it's like, mm, I almost had him. If only it wasn't for those pesky kids and their dog. Like, it's yes, rough. yeah. That's exactly it. That's exactly. <laughs> I love any Scooby Doo reference. I will absolutely take. But that's exactly it. You, we, we go from this extreme all the time and and always perfect, always right to this essentially, like we know what they are. But this this band of misfits just foiling him every single turn, you know, it's it's not that it's unimpressive. It's I actually think that I like the Thrawn we see in Rebels a little bit more than the one we see in the books. But it's the inconsistency that gets me. And we can't even use the argument because this is the argument I would use for Saw Gerrera. Yes, there's inconsistencies. But it's because he's getting older and he's growing. Hold you know, please. the the <laughs> I look saw Saul was on my one was, bad was an option. One one bad word about Sogger and I will reach through this internet and he's gonna. No, I can't wait to watch no. that happen because he's gonna. Um but that's that's the thing, and and I will make the argument with Saw is for as inconsistent as it is, you can make the argument that there are these big leaps in time. He's growing. He is getting more and more extreme as time goes on. It's, you know, a case of someone's been through these traumas and you're, they're not the person you've seen. 
Whereas Thrawn, he's getting older. He's getting more experience. Why is he getting worse when we see him on Rebels? Shouldn't he be better? Well, and also, like, what happens in a lot of the books happens in between things that happen in the Rebels. So these are happening at the same time. Like, these are happening at the same time. So why is he so starkly different? And you can't say, oh, you know, because Zahn... He he wasn't involved in the actual writing, but he consulted. Like he pointed out things that you know might have been inconsistent and things like that. It's I am I'm with Lindsay in the fact that like if Thrawn was just the Thrawn in the shows, I think he serves his purpose in the show. I think the problem is, and, and I actually might agree with with Lindsay here more than I actually agree with my own take, but. Um, I think that the, the the years of Thrawn being this untouchable superhero, but also a villain, but not an anti-hero character in the books that we have, and then taking him to this show where he has to be a children's villain, he has to be a mustache twirler, and now we're going to give him live action, so is he going to be somewhere in between there? It's just, it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't, the... I'm using air quotes here, genius of Thrawn does not cross over effectively when you are not seeing everything that's going on and also when you don't have 40 pages of him explaining how he got to the conclusion that he got to. Drew, would you disagree or did I <laughs> do I have the best butt? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Drew. <laughs> Go ahead and say that Lindsay has the best butt. <laughs> there is no good way out of this segue. Okay, good to know. Nope. Um, all right, who's I'm your character? Trying to, I'm trying to replay the like all of his involvement in Rebels because I haven't read the new canon books uh, at all. So I don't, don't have a good... I, no, I wasn't gonna. Um, yeah, you guys have really hyped me up on those, by the way, in the past. Um no, I, I'm trying to compare because I don't remember what I remember of the character in, in in the novels is definitely an intelligent battle, you know, strategist, right? That was kind of what always made him impressive is the way he was able to outmaneuver and outsmart people. But he, but even if you go back to like heir to the empire, he's able to analyze the faults and weaknesses that led to the downfall of the empire at the battle of Endor. That's why he recruits Joris Saboeth to be the, the dark Jedi master in order to use the battle meditation to make the empire, the remaining empire forces formidable again. So he's able to recognize what went wrong and the weaknesses that he himself cannot fulfill and correct. I mean, I feel like a lot of that exists in, in the rebels show again, not being able to recall his entire activity in the show uh, immediately. Um, I remember just it, things went wrong for the heroes left and right. You know, he was absolutely, you know, manipulative and psychological in his warfare with a lot of the characters and in, in, in the individual approaches where he took to learn everybody who was on the team and analyze them for where their weak points were and then pushed. Um, from what I remember, I mean, is that wrong? It is not yeah. wrong. No, hold on, hold on, okay. hold on. It's not wrong, but it's not what causes really any of their actual problems. Like, save for the capturing of Hera and that little interaction that they have there, like, 
he doesn't ever really do anything that puts them in a bad situation. All of that happens through Price and through uh, things that happen on Lothal and the the. the I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think I agree because isn't there like in season three where he basically just he brings down the iron fist on the the city and puts it under like uh, martial law. Essentially, he really like sticks it to the civilians in order to draw out the rebels. Right, but how is that different from any like you could have insert imperial character here like we're talking about this character no 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 no. because here's the thing and 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 i'm about to get on my soapbox because this pisses me off (laughs) this 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 really bothers me i love the warning i love the warning thrawn gets away with being a boring character because of his importance to star wars history there is no doubt like i can you cannot deny you cannot deny and i will not deny the importance of thrawn and the thrawn trilogy not just for legends but for the special editions for getting the the prequels also go over and listen to the 30th anniversary of heir to the empire over on the wampas lair they did a great analysis of this but he was interesting and served his purpose in that trilogy uh, I have read Outbound Flight, served his purpose in, in, in that book. Uh, great job. But he gets all this hype and all this credit and all this internet space and memes and all of, all of this attention because of how important he was to people in 1990 and 1995. Okay? Which is fine, but you can't allow a character in 2021 to continue to live off of the novelty, for lack of a better term, that he had in 1990. Like, people complained that Luke Skywalker changed. Like, okay, but do you want the same character that you had in 1983 in 2018? Like, it literally makes no sense that Thrawn just gets away with just being because he's cool and nobody else can do it the way that he does it. He's been doing the exact same thing. The stories are literally the exact same. And so when you get a character like in Rebels where he has a purpose and his purpose is to be the one that, oh, I almost got him. I almost got him every time, which is fine. That's fine. It works for the story. It works for the story that they're telling of these characters who are are so uh, crafty and such misfits that even a great calculus uh, or strategist can't figure him out. But also, you've spent these 30 years where everybody's going, he's this great character, he's so amazing, ah, blah, 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 blah. And then you're just making him lose every week. Like, they don't fit together. They don't I fit mean, together. That's, okay, are, are you, you feel better now? I mean, not until I get everybody on the internet to agree with me that Thrawn is the literal definition of a Mary Sue that everybody yelled about. Like, everything that people complain about Ray about, like, other than the Force, he has it all. Okay, now you may go, Drew. You have one person okay. who's, like, half on the internet, if that counts. It's me. <laughs> it's just because you got locked out of your Twitter account don't know your path. <laughs> 
Okay, Brandon, your entire argument about your, your issue there is the exact same problem so many people have with Palpatine refer- returning in episode nine, okay? It's the exact same issue. He comes in, comes back, does his one thing again when they could have had an opportunity to bring in all kinds of new information, direction, and characters, and they decided to go back to some old faithful well of information and, and the one guy who was still alive to do it. They went back and used him instead. So I don't particularly think it makes good sense because I see them doing two different things. Wait, 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 wait. But where in my argument did I say anything about Palpatine's return being effective? I I did. I'm saying your argument there is the same one that I would use and you have used about Palpatine in episode nine. So that makes me turn my head to the the right side a little bit and say, Lindsay, don't you want to reach through the microphone and smack him? Because episode nine is your favorite film. You you are the the famous one for saying, you know, Skywalkers fight Palpatines. I'll never forget when you said that because I was like, all right, I get it. But at the same time, how I don't understand how you can take that kind of an approach and say he's living off the coattails of his adventures 30 years ago. And therefore, because now it doesn't look the same and because now he loses week to week, that same thing doesn't stop us from, you know, having the same kind of criticism on the Palpatine return. Lindsay, Lindsay, I got this. Approach. I got this. I got this. And I would argue, Brandon, that bringing back a character from 30 years ago to do something that they had been doing and then make them bad at it is good character development because it is taking something that was familiar and subverting expectations, a la episode eight, where we have done things, where we have brought back things that you remember and you know what should happen because of them, but then those are subverted. Now, that's used in the TV show, in Rebels, because your audience is different. The audience in Rebels is different from the audience for the Thrawn trilogy, the duology, and Outbound Flight. Like, it's okay for things to be different from that section, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, to these ones today. That's all right, because it brings them into the fold and say, oh, everybody, like, my dad's got this big affinity for this character. I wonder, I'm kind of scared. I wonder if if my guys are going to be okay. And then by the end, you say, oh, my guys were able to overcome the big bad guy and make him not irrelevant. I was going to say make him irrelevant, but that's not even true because they really don't dispense of him until the very end. And it's only by Ezra's, you know, tapping into the force and trusting in something that Thrawn himself cannot understand and just outplays him and is willing to sacrifice himself, which is again, another concept Thrawn does not get. So I think it makes pretty good sense to have him come back in and lose to these guys because it's a demonstrative of what makes our heroes different no i'm not disagreeing with that at all i think i think whoever you have could have played that role i think the reason that thrawn is a a bad crossover character and the reason that thrawn is different from the argument you're making for palpatine is first of all palpatine came back in a new way and was doing something completely he came back somehow (laughs) well somehow right but he, but I'm not talking about how he actually returned from the dead. I'm talking about how he came back in terms of bringing him back into the story. He came back and did something different. We had never seen an actual character that like had fully died brought back in that way. Like it was, it was a new, it was a so new approach to it. Cut in half, like the body of the the, the right. falls down the shaft. Right, and and, and he and, comes back with the aforementioned spider legs of sexiness. <laughs> But when you have Thrawn, you're bringing him back, yes, and you're doing new things with him in Rebels, sure, I'll give you that. The problem is that the things that are happening in the books are happening at similar or the same times or precursors to Rebels. And he is, for lack of a better term, 
a god. He is... Freddie Prince Jr. talks about it in like video games and he calls it like God mode where like you just have infinite yeah. lives. Like you can always just respawn, you know, so why not run into fire because you can just respawn again. Essentially, that's it's Thrawn. It's the hero like, shield. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's the problem with Thrawn is the, the use of him in Rebels, the reason that I don't like it is because of how it doesn't align with the larger story that's being told. And at the same time, it's happening for that, for to be at the same time. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like the things that happen, like I think, um, treason, the third book I think happens in between like seasons three and four of rebels. So like you have these things that are happening at the ex- exact same time. You have him in the ascendancy being this amazing tactician that characters are literally like, "Oh, we want to we want him gone, but we don't know how to get rid of him cuz he's undefeatable." And then you take him to Rebels and he is easily defeatable. Like that's like the whole message of Star Wars though. I mean, that's the whole battle. No, but he shouldn't be easily like- defeatable. Like he is a he is a joke in Rebels compared to what he is in the books. Like, in the books, it's always, oh, we have no idea what's going on. What is all of this stuff that's happening? Oh, Thrawn figured it out. I think, wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hopefully tie this all together in a nice bow. Um, I think what would have been better served is if we maybe introduced Thrawn earlier on and we had him go up not against the ghost crew, right? We saw him go up against, I don't know, even if it's just like freaking pirates or whatever, but just have him go up against someone else so we understand, even in Rebels, like, he's still this genius and he's still this, you know, tactical god and there's still something so inhuman about him. And let us understand that in Rebels. So this way, by the time he's going up against Hera, it means something that he is screwing it up every sense, every step of the way. And or, it means something that they are outmaneuvering him. Or instead you, of just, it's inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the other option, and I think could work just as effectively, maybe even more effectively, would be to have the rebels lose some weeks. Like, look how effective that was when our Lord and Savior Kanan Jarrus died. Like, you can use that very effectively. You can end, like, not every week has to be, you know, ending on a good note, even for an, air quotes, kids show. Because one thing that has made Star Wars last for so long is that it doesn't talk down to kids, you know? And, like, as somebody who works with kids, like, a big thing that I've noticed is how much people talk down to them, not in a, in a degrading or demeaning way or anything like that, but in terms of they don't think that the kids can catch on to these higher concepts. So they more, you know, they kind of dumb it down or they don't get into these deeper conversations or they don't have these challenging topics. Right. Whereas while I'm not perfect, I think one of the things that makes me effective as a teacher is I'm not willing to, or I am willing rather to have those conversations. Like I did a project a couple years ago where I had them research civil rights leaders and then decide on a problem that they would fight against today and create an action plan for it. Like in fifth grade, 
right? And it wasn't perfect, but the kids were able to get these ideas and get to see the connections between problems we had in the past and problems we're having today, right? Like it's, they can get stuff. And so the idea that the show, which I think in a way having Thrawn be this mustache twirling, like, oh, I almost got him character, does in a way talk down to the capacity of kids and the capacity of the audience to be able to handle tragedy and to be able to handle the pain of not every week, maybe not even every other week, having multiple weeks, like five, six weeks in a row where you have just them getting destroyed and then you have them defeat Thrawn, like that means a lot more than them always slipping away. It talks down to the audience, and I'm not going to lie, I don't pick Saw Gerrera anymore. Um, <laughs> I pick Thrawn. I- I'll just go real quick through why I had Saw on here. Um, is is mostly just because of it being a pet peeve of mine that the, the looks and everything don't line up. Um, I think that they could have done more there in terms of, of having a story told there. I think they could have done more... Um, that made sense with bringing Stila in and things like that. Um, but I've convinced myself and Lindsay has convinced me and, uh, yeah, Thrawn is the, the worst crossover character. So Drew, who do you have as your, your choice? Well, first off, I'd like to acknowledge that Lindsay's solution to the Thrawn problem is more Thrawn. I just want to make sure we say that out loud. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, Han Solo. (laughs) Whoa! Okay, all right. Oh no way, Lindsay! You thought you were bringing the big guns. Wow! Yeah, I'll just put my little pistol away. Jeez, boy. <laughs> uh, name for me a time when the Han Solo character, outside of a movie, outside of the you know the the episodic films, was as good as when he's in the episodic films. It never happens. The reason is because Harrison Ford is Han Solo and everybody else is just a pale, pale imitation and it shows every single time. The reason I brought up the audio dramas just kind of as an offhand comment was because if you haven't listened to the audio dramas of the classic trilogy, you you owe yourself a favor. Um, find them online, rent them from the library, download a torrent of whatever, because it is, it is just chef's kiss a treat. I, uh, I'm going to interrupt here real quick, Drew, because I do think that all of them are available on archive or archive of our own.com or org Cause I got them off of there. Um, it's a basically oh, perfect. Yeah. It's basically an audio source, uh, where you can get stuff like that free legally. So it should all be on there. Yeah. If not, it's definitely on YouTube for free. That is is probably the number one thing that comes to mind about a time they're trying to use the character of Han Solo and it just fails. You're imagining things. Am I, Lan? And why'd you call me back? Afraid I was going to leave without giving you a goodbye kiss. You? Me. I'd sooner kiss a Wookiee. Well, I can arrange that, but you better move fast. Goodbye. Goodbye. You could use a good kiss. And it's it's not the fault of of people writing it. It's not the fault of people acting it. It's really just because Harrison Ford is Han Solo, and there is no substitute for that. You know, you can hire somebody else to be Luke from time to time. You can even CGI his face onto somebody else's body when he's in the end of the Mandalorian, and it's not bad. It's fine. We can live with that. You know, you can 
you can create Carrie Fisher's 19 year old look in a computer studio and stick it at the end of Rogue One and it's fine. You know, we can we can live with that. There is no substitute for Harrison Ford doing Han Solo. Um, and the times we see his character, you know, nobody sounds the same. Nobody behaves the same. Nobody can write his mannerisms or his affectations just the way that it's performed in, in those, you know, five films. He has a dancing character in that Xbox 360 Connect game. That's just will haunt your nightmares if you haven't seen that. I don't recommend Googling that. It, it's just every time you see the character, I think in the deepest corners of our hearts, we all admit, boy, we wish this was Harrison Ford. I love him in any comic book that we get. But to your point, I think it's because at that point, you can kind of put the Harrison Ford voice to it in your head and the look to it and the way he carries himself. Like that's so you're doing as that's much an work easy as the printed material. Me- yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, it's just hard. Like he's look, you're, he's not as bad as Thrawn, but you're right. <laughs> well, I think you you're, have, you guys have, have more <laughs> issues with the exit, no, with the application of the character. Whereas I, my issue is an execution of the character um, where it's just, and, and, and mine is that the, the core of what makes Han Solo Han Solo is unattainable anywhere outside of the person of Harrison Ford. Like, that's it. You 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 watch the 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 original trilogy, and it's basically Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Harrison Ford. That's the way your brain interprets those three characters. At least that's the way my brain interprets those three characters. And I, I shouldn't project onto everybody else in that particular manner. But every time you see it come up, it's just like this is not what he would have done at the Battle of Endor. Come on, guys. Well, I I think you're on to something there because for me for the longest time before claudia gray uh actually leia was uh, was a character like that like i never felt like yeah. anybody could really capture the the spark and the little subtleties that carrie brought to the character that were really just carrie being carrie so like i completely get what you're saying i my argument would be my love of of Solo and, and what Alden Ehrenreich did there. I know you're not as big of a fan of it. I feel like if I feel like it's the most effective uh, execution of Han that we have outside of um, Harrison Ford. Uh, I don't. It, it, I, no, go ahead. It, it, it is it is the second best at swing at the you know crack at the bat. It is as good I think as anything any other attempt to capture the character in the same kind of way and it's because it has all of the things you know it's the visual the audio the action you've got everything whereas when you're reading in the book like Lindsay said you're doing a little bit of mental gymnastics yourself to make it fit when you're reading the comics it's one thing when you see him appear in a video game it's another thing so it's it's not that and I didn't even consider my my personal feelings on Solo in this matter because you know it's still in the same category of, of, of film so even if we set that particular distinction aside, I, I mean, my position stands in that every time you see this character appear in a different setting, you know, uh, medium-wise, I hate, I hate using the word medium so many times like this. Um, we got to come up with a better noun. Um, it just falls flat. Well, and I think if you look at, like, um, I think Last Shot is a good example. Um 
because I think Daniel Jose older, like just as a person is like the swag that he has is, is on a level that I feel like he could get as close to Harrison Ford as you could possibly get on a page. And it still doesn't ring the same. Like there's definitely a lot that he does right. And I, I don't necessarily think that anybody that I can recall is making decisions for Han or putting Han in or having Han do stuff that he wouldn't do, but it doesn't come off the same. It doesn't read the same as, as the way Harrison Ford does. And, and I mean, it's kind of unfair to the other creators because it's like, okay, you're, you're comparing it to a once in a lifetime, you know, actor, like one of the greatest actors of all time, like Indiana Jones, Blade Runner, like all of these things that he's done. Mr. Blade Runner. (laughs) Mr. Blade Runner. Um, but like all of these, Mr. Blade Runner was my father. (laughs) (laughs) All of these things that Harrison Ford has done. And it's interesting, Drew, that you said, you know, like, uh, you see Luke, Leia and Harrison Ford, because I'm the exact opposite. I see the character. Like, I forget I'm watching Harrison Ford when I'm watching, like, I don't see the same person when I'm watching Indiana Jones as I do when I'm watching Star Wars. And, and, not every actor can do that. Like, I think that is a hallmark for me. That's a hallmark of a great actor is if I watch them in one movie, am I going to feel like they're different than a character in another movie? Like that's definitely one way to, 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 to watch that, watch it. Absolutely. Because you know, kind of the same thing. If you can watch one actor in two different films and the performance is strong enough where it doesn't let you out of that own film and give you the time to say, oh, this is, you know, I remember him from, I, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of like this for me. Like when I watch him in a film, it's like I'm watching Leonardo DiCaprio with a few I- exceptions. But a lot of times when you see him, I'm like, it's just the kid from Titanic grown up, you know, again, with a couple exceptions, you know, Gangs of New York. Uh, and Django Unchained. You watch Django Unchained, you're not watching Leonardo DiCaprio anymore. You're watching Calvin Candy. Um, and, and, and I don't know. It's it's tough because I feel like a lot of times when when people are coming up with new entries into the Star Wars universe and they have to include the character of Han Solo, they do their best to imitate mm-hmm. Harrison Ford without really... I don't know what's missing. I don't have any constructive criticism for it. I, I don't think know how you do it's- it. It's something to your, I will see your Leo and I will say that the exact opposite of it is Meryl Streep, who you see her in any movie and looks wise, the way she carries her voice and herself, like it's so drastically different every time. And the reason why she came to mind is because I remember reading a review of Julia and Julia, where she plays Julia Child, right? And this and this critic was and this critic made the point. They go, Meryl Streep is the only person who could find a way to take this and bring it beyond just doing an impersonation. Mm-hmm. And she takes this character and actually makes it this full fledged character where you think she is Julia Child. Like that's what I think ever everything to your point, every single thing in the Star Wars universe is an impersonation of Harrison Ford. Nobody can be that cool. Like, let's just say it. Nobody can be that cool. That's why, that's why I picked it as, as the, the toughest uh, version of a crossover character. 
All right, let's get into our best then. Let's let's transition here. And um, since I since I kind of gave up my my other one, I'm gonna go ahead and go first on this one because I feel like people are expecting me to pick Ahsoka, uh, especially now that she has gone <laughs> from show to book and then from there to TV. And y'all know I love Ahsoka. I love what they have done with Ahsoka, but. If we are going to talk about the best of the best we, when it comes to crossover characters, we have to talk about Maul, formerly Darth. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah, I think I slightly counselor. No, I think I, I think he's he's my best. Remember that. So right out of the gate with episode one, you have Maul. He takes this mantle as like one of the coolest looking characters but there's no real depth to him. He served the story. Um, I don't think the prequels would have worked as well if he was in the other two films. I think fi- killing him was the right choice at the time. That said, I also think that bringing him back was one of the smartest moves that that George ever made. I think how um, he brought him back is one of the best things that Filoni has ever done. Um, if you think about um, this character, he, he's just you cannot bring him back in any way that is less than amazing. I think Filoni loses his job, or I don't rather um, think that Filoni loses his job or anything, but I do think Clone Wars is not near as good as it is. It's not near as relevant as it is. I don't think we get, um, you know, bring back the Clone Wars and all of those those things. So, aforementioned spider legs have been mocked, and there are... There are there's some absurdity to them, but symbolically, I actually think it's a really good choice. Um, spiders symbolize, uh, you know, creativity, um, but not creativity in in how we normally think of it. it. Their creativity is about power. It's about aggression. It's about capturing their prey. So you have spiders. They spin these these webs, these beautiful designs. They capture their prey, um, but. The extra element um, and, and why I think picking a spider was important is that they are in, once they capture their prey in the web, they can literally let it sit there for however long they want. Like they can literally torture it more or less. You know, you look at a lion, a lion kills its prey quickly and efficiently. A spider can torment and torture and and that's a perfect representation of what um Maul does moving forward. And I also think by bringing him back and, and telling these stories of him repeatedly falling short um, because of his short-sightedness, because of his aggression, um, because of, of the gaps in his webs, essentially him being Sisyphus, Sisyphus rolling uh, the boulder up the hill again and again to fall again and again, there's a beauty to that when it comes to the overall story of star Wars, because um, it shows how good for me, it shows how good Palpatine is that Palpatine is so in control over these things. And um, Maul always has something missing, right? Like he creates the shadow collective, but it's not fully successful. The Shadow Collective devolves into Crimson Dawn, and then that somehow devolves into where we have him in Rebels. Um, and where he's at in Rebels, I don't see any signs of him being in Crimson, you know, in Crimson Dawn, let alone in control of Crimson Dawn. So he's continually like making these grabs for power, 
um, that are he's he's just falling short of, um, which I think then goes back and supports what we get in episode one and his short sightedness there, his brashness there. Um, and, and, and I think the reason that Maul always stands out to me, um, is because of how perfectly he contrasts our most effective heroes in star Wars. He is arrogance to Ahsoka's humility. He is anger to Luke's compassion. He is selfishness to raise selflessness. Um, he, he may not, have faced or, or even met most of these characters, but just having him there better defines the light within them and better exemplifies what makes them a hero. Um, and so that is just another layer beyond just the character itself um, and the effective storytelling that I think has been done with him in the animation um, and in, didn't even mention Son of Dathomir, the comic, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, so Maul, Maul is just absolutely uh fantastic he is marvelous uh and he is the best crossover character i'm happy you brought up son of dathomir um because i think you do an incredible job of defending maul in animation and maul post episode one and any kind of other story that we have of maul really supports that my only issue with keeping him as the best crossover character is do we really have enough of him in episode one to say that we know who he is as a character and that's why it's it's well executed into what we see him grow into he was kind of a, a placeholder in episode one and we really only know Maul through animation at this but I beats me to it. I I don't fully disagree, but I could make the argument that he does fall short because of his brashness and aggression in episode one. Um, His his going directly to um, attack Qui Gon Jinn instead of uh, maybe taking a tactic that would have been more effective, or um, you know, getting to them ahead of time. Style though, that right? But I think and it's successful. Mm. Is he, it? He does be Quagon. <laughs> no, no, no. Qui-Gon. On Tatooine, you, on ta- I'm talking on Tatooine. Oh, oh. Well, we heard. Mm. I mean, he, it works. And uh, he he goes well, but but he goes full force after Quagon on Tatooine and doesn't does achieve he? his goal. I don't know if he does. I mean, he's he's wearing heavy black robes in the heat of Tatooine. He uses half of his double bladed lightsaber. I mean, that seemed to me more like testing the waters than actually striking to kill. Uh, I don't know. I don't. He, I, he, was, point, he was he was ready to just like basically just lop off Anakin's head with his bike just to get to Qui Gon. Like that shows well, yeah, a lot of sure, aggression. But, uh, but I'm saying it shows aggression and brashness. I'm not necessarily saying he had a shot at killing him um, or that there wasn't another uh, look, that that scene we can certainly dissect at any other time i just don't think it's enough to say we understand maul you but, know like but we when you go to in his head and we understand him and we know him but see a person's fighting style says a lot about them not enough because if you look, uh, look at really the, really though, really that, yeah with that you're gonna say that as a boxer you look at obi-wan i am Mm. I absolutely I think, am. 
I think in Go the ahead. Star Wars universe, it's not enough. I mean, the Star Wars universe is is all about you know hitting you over the head with with the themes and the characters' points of view and whatnot. So I'm kind of with Lindsay. The lack of the lack of subject matter material uh, is, would have dinged this one down from number one for me. I, I don't disagree with your points. I think it is is either they're incredible character. points incredible I mean, points and it really made me appreciate okay calm down now. <laughs> it, it made I, me I really like... appreciate your your thoughts on mall and animation are brilliant and they are well articulated and they're correct i just yeah to drew's <laughs> point there's just not enough source material I think I'm, I'm, that him standing above obi-wan in the pit there and just arrogantly waiting is is enough for me because that shows that shows the brashness and the arrogance that and and the fact that he literally loses half of his body and falls down a pit and has to eat garbage for eight years or whatever it is, ten years, twelve years. To me, okay, that shows here's... that he doesn't learn the lesson. Like I'm I'm what I'm saying is like I get I get and I don't fully disagree with your points. I, I can definitely see what you're saying that we don't have enough of, of the material. I think that we do have a connection though, because I do think that what we see of him in episode one makes sense with the flushed out character that we get in animation. Uh, and shows the lesson of Maul, which is that if we don't learn from our mistakes and we keep trying to win by brute force and aggression and power, that we're not going to win. I think that that shows throughout all of his his storytelling, and that's why I'm saying it's an effective crossover. Because the, the ideas that get flushed out when we have more time in animation are present in, in a microcosm in what we get with him in episode one. I mean, you give the results of a lot of those things. Like like you had said, where he establishes one particular criminal empire and it falls and he has to establish something new. But we don't see that actually happen. Like, we understand that it has happened to him. Like, you know, we pick him up in Rebels and he's clearly not the leader of, of a criminal organization like he was in Solo. Uh, we see him in... in the clone wars come and go out of these positions of power, but we don't, I don't know. Do we see, is there a material that gives us that transition between, uh, the shadow? What is it? Shadow syndicates, shadow, shadow collective. collective. Yeah. Into crimson dawn. Like that seems like, it would um, be with siege of Mandalore, it seems like crimson dawn is a part of the shadow collective. So, so somehow that breaks apart. If so much of your appreciation of the character is the way in which he, he is established to be this person who continues to tr- go down the same particular path of establishing a dynasty and it falling apart in front of him, we don't see 50% of that. Like the, the, the things you, upon which you're hanging your hat are not available mm-hmm. to us. And so while that, the character is consistent, he's always entertaining. Uh, insane Maul is always my favorite Maul, whether he's trapped at the bottom of a pit or whether he's tearing through hyperspace to get to Tatooine of all places. Or he's yelling, Kenobi! Exactly. Like th- Those are definitely interesting and fun and exciting things to watch, but I think they are contained all to one particular one particular form of art. Like like Lindsay said, you've got a strong case where he's a, a great great character within the world of animation. But and I know he's got his defenders out there, but I think we could use a couple more gaps filled in before I think we've got a successful transition 
from place to place. Like we don't have any more books about him anymore, like we used to, do we? Like, does he have a, a focus? No. Is he the, you know, the primary character in anything? No. Like he was an old shadow agent. Is that the name of the book? Um, what's oh, the man? One? I just uh, read it. It's Shadow Hunter. Shadow Hunter. Shadow yes. Hunter. And there's also a great nice googling. <laughs> No, I actually got that, but I was on mute and I had to quickly unmute. And I was like, oh, I know oh, I, this. I, okay. All right, you got it. You got it. I, I got it too. Well played. Well played. I I couldn't I couldn't find it. I knew I was close, but I, I you got it right. So, I, I mean, I, I, with you Brandon to a point, I think there's at least one or two characters who we might talk about who fit that bill a little better. All right. Who you got? Oh, you're going to go straight to it? Go to you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, it's Boba Fett. You did open that door. Yep. We're going to walk right through it. Wait, who? The problem. Boba Fett. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the bounty hunter uh, paragon. Here's the thing. Like, Brandon had a soapbox about how he hates if, Thrawn. If you bring Thrawn. up the holiday special, we're going to have problems. I'm just saying. Well, first off, that is we cannot ignore that his, 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 that is the first appearance of the character. I don't care about that. For far too long, Boba Fett has been besmirched as a character who doesn't do anything because all you see is him uh, shamble onto screen in a dinner sequence in The Empire Strikes Back. Nay, to that I will say, no more are we going to accept that as an exceptional way of denigrating Boba Fett. All the things he has done have been fun to watch. Everything has been exciting that he's done, and it has culminated in season two of The Mandalorian. And if all we ever had from Boba Fett was Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Attack of the Clones, and then we get Mandalorian season two, that would be fine. It would be awesome because it was so good and made up for so much lost time. But that's not all that we have. We have all the Tales books that came out in the 90s. We have he played a major role in the Fate of the Jedi series, which was fascinating to watch an old man uh, struggle with his uh, planned obsolescence, the way in which he has to kind of realize he's got to go back to other clones for parts in order to keep himself alive. Strongly recommend that series of books, by the way. He has always been an interesting character. And just because people haven't taken the time to go out and involve themselves that he's been a part of is no longer an excuse. It's not an excuse anymore because of Mandalorian season two. His re-entry into that show is amazing and is one of the best things we've had in Star Wars in a long freaking time. It is amazingly entertaining it is thrilling that whole sequence where he's just knocking the stuffing out of the stormtroopers left and right is so satisfying to watch and was so rewarding for anyone who ever thought he was an interesting character that it cannot be denied he's one of the most interesting and entertaining characters in the entire galaxy and it has worked in the films it has worked in the shows it has worked in the books and the comics and everything in between and if we had gotten the 1313 game we were promised, you know, 137 years ago, he would have been awesome in that video game as well. I have no doubt in my mind. He was even great in the Masters of Terrors Cassie PS1 game, for crying out loud. Yeah, he was. Uh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Stop, Brendan, stop getting time. excited. I'm about to help you out. I, I was excited about Terrace Cassie. I'm, I'm here to talk okay, about Okay, so that's Cassie. the thing. You, my, my good friend Drew... You know I love nothing more than to agree with you and bully up on Brandon. Indulge but in that experience. Let I should. I know I should, but I would feel like such a hypocrite if I didn't. Here's my only issue. We are using the exact thing we just 
gave Brandon a hard time for, but saying it's acceptable for you, which is, is there enough source material? Do we really know him or is he more of just a prop in the movies? Because we, I'm not done though. Brandon at least gave a very, very eloquent reason. Mm -hmm. Continue, please keep going. Argument for, for Maul in the animation. All you've done is just list a lot of things that he's been in. And this would essentially be like, yeah, but this, this is like going on to IMDb and just finding like that one character who's kind of the background character in every single like TV show and movie and being like, but they're so like, they're in so many things. I know this face. I know this face instead of like Steve Buscemi, who you're like, they're amazing in every single thing that he does. Like as random as it might be. And you never thought he was in it. Like, He's great in every single thing he does. You you just list a bunch of stuff that he's in, but don't explain why he's so good. I, because they're so good. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot of like, into but, it because every time I see him, I'm like, I love this character. Everything he does. But just that's a, that's just it. But just because he's in just because he shows up in a lot of things doesn't make yes. him a no, good no, no. I, I, character. Prevalence is not the sole determining factor. I will absolutely agree with you. It must it must be multiple you know that pre- prevalence, multiple appearances and quality therein each time and a consistent basis over over the years would lead me to the conclude the more often when here's kind of what you got to think. You got to ask yourself this question. If this character's in the next thing that I see or read or or indulge in, do I expect that to be good or do I expect it to be painful? Every time I think Boba Fett's going to be anything, I expect it to be awesome. Because of all the other times we've experienced this character and the things that has, he has been a part of, I have just loved. And of course, this is going to be subjective in things. But like this is yeah. the opposite problem of, of the Han Solo issue, where every time you see Han Solo, all I do is go, ah, gee, but it's not Harrison Ford. Every time I see Boba Fett, I'm like, that's my boy. There he is again. He's doing his job, with the exception of Attack of the Clones. But he's a 10-year-old boy, so that's not his fault. That's okay. It's an entirely different thing. But the depth and breadth of everything that he shows up in and his involvement and his experiences, the way in which he interacts, the bad, bad things that he does, it's so good for that character. That character is amazingly fun to watch because he does, he's just, like he says, a simple man trying to make his way in the galaxy. And he does it with the brute end of a gaffy stick. Uh, it's so entertaining. I see, but I think you're, I think you're making the Every argument, time. I think you're making the argument that what he did in Mandalorian season two is a good use of the character and a good crossover, not that Boba Fett is a good crossover character. Because, again, going back to the original material, we don't have a lot of him in the movies. Like, objectively, like, I I really have had... I I didn't have much of an opinion about Boba Fett either way. I was kind of on the camp of, I mean, I don't really like him just because I don't have any reason to like him, but I also don't have any reason to dislike him. After Mandalorian Season 2, absolutely love him. Totally hyped for Book of Boba Fett. But we, but other than that, other before Mandalorian Season 2, the primary canon thing that we had, the most time that we spent with Boba Fett was as kid Boba Fett trying to kill Mace Windu and then being this little clone kid that was running a bounty hunter guild and gets put in a box by Asajj Ventress. Like, you're telling me that that's the best? Like, No. You can't tell See, me that you got just 
you got to open your eyes to the other things that are out there then. The fact that you're excluding certain information is your own darn fault. That's not my problem. Because, I, again, there are, you know, there are books and games and comics and things that we have seen for decades now and that he's been a part of. And the fact that people are ignoring that is their own darn problem. That's, that's you know, a, a, again, every time I see it, it's fun. And, like, we know more about Boba Fett out of his few lines in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi than Darth Maul's lines. Absolutely. You want to talk about the importance of a fighting style and, and, and the way in which a character conducts himself. I mean, it's all right there on screen. I mean, from the first time we see him actually move, like his physical motion with the jangling of the spurs, we know exactly what that means. So we get so much out of him in these tiny little moments. And if, if all you want to take is a cinematic the cinematic information that we get. You want to line up Boba Fett and Darth Maul? I guarantee you we get more comprehensive information for Boba Fett than we do Darth Maul. 100% no doubt in my mind. Not only does he appear more often and have more lines, but he does more things, and he does more things that are interesting to me. I mean, like, that's... He do- okay, okay. What does, what does he do in the movies? Oh, what does he do? He outsmarts our heroes. He coordinates with the bad guys. He takes money for his payday. Mm-hmm. He drops them off. Then we see him just kind of... Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to... I want to stop you there. When do we see him capture the bad guys? Because I'm pretty sure that's Darth Vader that captures the bad guys. When do we see him coordinate with the other? When do we see him coordinate? He outsmarts the good guys when he disguises himself among the trash that the Star Destroyer drops off and he waits for the Falcon to escape because he had seen that kind of trick before. Okay, that's fair. But when do we we see see him coordinating? When do we see him coordinating with the other bad guys? He takes a job from Darth Vader on the the bridge of the the executive. At... And he stalks in behind Vader at the at the uh, the dining room. So he's who, present think, around the other how, bad guys. Got it. How did Vader? How, who do you think told Vader where to go? How do you think the Empire knew where to but show up? Ahead cor- but but you said coordinating. Coordinating. coordinating yeah. Would, no no no. Giving someone information and coordinating are very different things. He you gives him the information. That dramatic entrance. That dramatic like standing up of Darth Vader at the dining room table, and then his slowly jangling into place behind him wasn't. You, you I think if they were coordinating, that I think beforehand. I think if they were they coordinating, were like five, six, seven, then Boba Fett would have, uh, you know, not have to say he's no good to me dead, like. I think you're getting you up to Vader in that moment and mm. said he's no good to me dead. Our deal was that you give him to me alive, and Vader's like, all right, fair enough, you got me on that. Your 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 argument, your argument against Maul. No, 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 no. Your argument against Maul was that we don't see a lot of the things that happen. Yeah. We don't see a lot of the, we don't see the things that happen with Boba Fett in the movies. Like, and I'm not knocking the character, what? but you what can't are you make that. About? We don't we don't see him coordinating with Vader. We don't see him uh, capturing Han. We don't see him transporting him I to Jabba. Completely we agree. don't see him like we don't see these things. We do. You see him load. You see him load the Han Solo's carbonite box. Uh huh. So when I take my groceries and I put them in in the trunk of my car after the grocery store, they're in my refrigerator. Well, we also have Luke's. He wasn't even the one loading it. He was like the guy with the 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 light sticks telling the airplane it's okay to back up. That's all he did. Okay, no, that's not. Look, no, but you you you're you're making the argument. You're making the (laughs) argument that we, yes, we have more time and more content with Boba Fett, but you made the argument that 
the subtleties that I was arguing for with Maul were not relevant enough to call it a crossover character or connect with the other materials. And that's what I'm saying about Boba Fett. In Mandalorian Season 2, he is one of the most interesting and intriguing characters, and that is used so effectively. But you're ignoring, you're saying other people are ignoring the things that happen. No, no, no. I would say you're filling in the gaps that are there with your own ideas and wish fulfillment. Oh, okay. That's, that's, He's right. that's coming from you. He's, <laughs> exactly. If I'm, if I can right. see it, <laughs> if I can see it, that's saying something. <laughs> I, I I disagree. I think there is absolutely enough information on screen to fill in those questions that you have. We see beat to beat yeah. to beat to beat how it happens. Like, and if you can't figure that out, then I suggest you go back and watch Empire Strikes Back again, because I feel like you're missing those. My point with when you're talking about Maul isn't to say that we don't get any information or that we leave we have so such big gaps. Phantom Menace does a great job of establishing Maul as what he is, and that's fine. He's a dog on a leash, and Palpatine lets it go, and that's okay. That's his role. That's his the character. That's what Palpatine trained him to do, and we see him execute on that efficiently. When we pick up his story later on in Clone Wars, he's a crazy, psychotic person who's barely hanging on to life, and that's fascinating. How we get there, that's, no one really knows, and that's okay. We don't need to see that. Oh, okay, no one knows, and that's okay, but we have to know how Maul loses the Shadow Collective and loses Crimson Dawn. Come on! Because you, you Because you made the statement that the way in which he fails is important to his character. You no, I said the failure. As, and, and, how, and what's that failure like? What's it look like? Tell me what that failure is. His failure of losing the empires that he creates. I never said the way that, that he... How does that happen? I mean, you can tell me that a car crash is bad. And you can tell me who's at fault. But if you can't tell me how the person at fault hurt the person, I don't believe you. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Now, do you want me to tell you how Han Solo got to Tatooine? Because I can use evidence from epi- uh, episodes five and six to do it. Okay, go for it. Okay. <laughs> You're going to do he some yoga here. The car. He puts him in the boot of the car, right? And then we know he's taking him to Jabba the Hutt from the dialogue in the film. Then Luke says, I'll meet you at the rendezvous point on where? Tatooine. When we pick up in Return of the Jedi, we're where? On Tatooine in the court of the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. I mean, it's there in the text. Do you want to see what exit he takes off the, the Hyperion hyperspace route? I, actually, yes, that's I the would. Only th- <laughs> and are there okay. any pieces of uh, the Legacy Run still there? That's what I want to know. That's, that is a fascinating question now that you bring that up. <laughs> I, I think if, if you want to boil down to just the cinematic information... The story that is told with Boba Fett is absolutely complete. The story told with Darth Maul is absolutely complete. And that's fine. When we start to go off screen, the things you're telling me that make Darth Maul important, I don't know that we have that anymore. But the things I'm telling you that make Boba Fett important, important the bad things he does, the way he cuts a deal, or the way he, uh, 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 you know, his ruthlessness as a bounty hunter, we see those things. We have these, those things told. That story has been told and written down. We have them, and they're totally entertaining. We have those That's with Maul, too. Like, we have I mean, it with, then, then, we have it with him and Ezra. We have it with him and Ezra. We have it with him going after Kenobi. 
Those like are, I, those are great parts. That's that's insane. Cla- that's insane. Mall that is a lot of fun. I totally agree with that. But again, if you're going to put these in order, I believe that I'm offering you a character that is m- more. The percentage of his story is more completely told, whereas Maul's dis- percentage of story told is not complete yet. And maybe that's something that will change. Again, if we were having this conversation two years ago oh, before Mandalorian season two, I wouldn't be arguing. You just this made at more all. of a. You just made more of an argument for Bay, because B can at least be like, "No, we're going to see more in these movies." Where you're like, "No, they're complete. It's just still lacking," because I still think it's lacking. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and Drew, I don't know if you saw this because I think this just came out today. Uh, there was a a, a leaked quote. Else, really? No, 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 no. There's a leaked <laughs> quote or something from an interview that basically Tamara Morrison said that part of Book of Boba Fett um, will more or less go back in time and fill some of those gaps. So, okay, there again after Book of Boba Fett, this could be a completely different conversation. But when you're when you're mm-hmm. gonna make the argument of breadth breadth and depth of of character, I don't feel like we have enough of Boba Fett to say he's the most effective crossover character. Was he done effectively? Yes, but not the most. How is that different? How is that different? If everything he's that the character has for you works, then how can you? How can there be an issue? Like if you're you saying that like. Darth Maul, there are, ga- there are known identifiable gaps. There are open questions that we do not have answers to. Are there open questions to the Boba Fett? Yeah. Like what? Uh, how did he go from the brash little kid into serving Jabba? Like, how did he get to hook up with Darth Vader? How did he get out of the Sarlacc pit? How did he? I think the bigger issue, too, is that there are all of these open questions for Boba Fett. And a lot of people just don't care. <laughs> well, that's a different issue. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What characters are interesting to you. But that's, a, a that's why you're 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 assuming that he's this great crossover character because everything they do for him works, regardless of medium. Whereas other people might argue too. No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, and to go like, back to to go I back to before, is, like effectively and most effective are very different from each other. Like I'm a good teacher. I'm not the best teacher in the world. Like those are very different things. Like is someone going to come into my class and get a good education and be set up for whatever they need to do next? Absolutely. Could they get it more effectively somewhere else? Maybe like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, a very different thing if we're, we're making the argument for the best of the best. So I'm not saying that Boba Fett is not done well. I think especially per your argument with Mandalorian season two, like that took me as somebody who was like apathetic towards the character and not in the negative way that a lot of people use that term, but literally just apathetic. Sure. Whatever it is, what it is. Boba Fett's got cool armor. Uh, and I'm glad that it led to the Mandalorian, but once you bring in this this very intriguing, broken, uh, searching for a new identity kind of character that we seem to be getting with Boba Fett in Mandalorian and with the things that we see at the end there that set up Book of Boba Fett, you absolutely have a, a great setup. But there are... My argument is not that Boba Fett is done poorly. My argument is that 
the arguments you made for Maul also exist for Boba Fett. Nah, I think you're wrong. But okay. we have one more person who, who we to do. argue with. So, <laughs> Lindsay, go for it. Yeah. Right, I dare you to argue Luke with Skywalker. this <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, no, but I'm going to do the closest thing possible. Harrison Dula. Okay, let's right off the bat. Does anyone want to argue? Let's just let's just think about it. Defend your assertion first, and then we'll okay. put rules on it. All right. So let's think of the mediums, right? We have her in animation, obviously. That's how we were introduced to her. We have her in books. We have her in comics. And we have her in video games. We even have her in short animation. And she is still able to adapt and grow. And she has different things to deal with at different stages, right? The hair that we meet in... Let's not even go... Yeah, I, let's let's go season one, Rebels, right? Season one of Rebels, the hero that we meet there is dealing with vastly, vastly different things than the hero we meet by the time we get to Alphabet Squadron. Mm-hmm. And she deals with them in different ways, and she grows as a, as a, for lack of a better word, person. But she has a set of core values and core characteristics that come across so strongly no matter what the medium is. So it doesn't matter if it's that original, you know, Hera in Rebels. And and this is, I think, a testament to Vanessa Marshall being able to bring such life to an animated character. But when I read her in um, Alphabet Squadron, or even when I play Squadrons, which I've said time and time again, I'm not the biggest fan of that video game strictly because I'm not good at it. Like, I, I, I'm just awful at it, <laughs> and it's frustrating for me to play. But still, regardless of that, when if you were to just watch gameplay on YouTube, it's so consistent, and you know exactly who this, who this character is and what's important to them and what drives them to do what they do and what their limits are. And it is so consistent no matter what the medium is. And that's why, for me, it's it's Hera. We know enough about her, and we've seen her in enough mediums to say that she is the best to carry over time and time again. All right. You guys know I love love Hera. She's in my top ten, sometimes top five characters. Vanessa Marshall is a god and a queen as far as I'm concerned. I just playing devil's advocate, I would say the difference um, that needs to be taken into account when you're looking at Boba Fett and Maul versus Hera is that Hera has all all of her content has happened in the this tight uh, like six year now, I guess, window of storytelling that has all been intertwined um, since since Rebels started coming out and since Disney took over what are you talking about what are you talking about i knew that was going to be the art no 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 i'm not saying it, i'm not saying it's a it, i'm not saying it's a negative but i'm saying all of the all of her story has happened in a very tight window whereas maul and boba fett oh, okay. has happened in different eras both in our timeline and 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 the timeline of star wars with vastly different creators with vastly different technology i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm just 
saying that that is something that should be taken into account. And I, and I think it works in Hera's favor, probably, because then her story is executed more effectively, but that is still mm-hmm. something to consider. I like it. I like your. I like the choice. It's it's bold, um, but it makes good sense. Like she's consistent in her character. I don't know that she grows as a character. Like she doesn't evolve over time. But I don't think she has to. For the role she's playing, you need her to be stable. You want her to be that yeah. mom figure. You need her to always be the one in charge, because in those few moments where she lets it slip that she doesn't have it all together are that much more important and impactful. I don't know. You might but, be onto something. Well, I wish we had more. Of and uh, you know what? Let's, uh, it's, uh, this I didn't even think of for some reason at first. It's not even necessarily Rebels. Think of New Dawn. We see her go from just this kind of entry-level recruiter for the Rebellion up to General Syndulla. And mm-hmm. even though it's a tight time frame, Based on years and only in Star Wars, only in Star Wars would be sitting here and be like, oh, it's only six years. Like, it's not 40 years. We we barely know this character after six years with them. Six years is still an impressively long time. But look at everything she's had to go through in those six years from meeting Kanan to losing Kanan and raising his kid. Yeah. And I mean, I think in... The the character that we get in A New Dawn is different than the character that we have in, say, Alphabet Squadron, but in in the right way, not in not in a way of like not lining up, but where it's you see that. right, you see the arc, and and I think Drew, you know, to your to your point of she doesn't need to change, she doesn't change that much, but the lessons that she has learned impacts how she handles things in the future um and yeah and and in that in in that kind of a response she remains the same which is good because she has learned those lessons to she has learned how to learn basically Mm, that's that's a good way to put it to teach the rest of the ghost crew is like you have to understand how to learn from your mistakes and what goes wrong in order to avoid making the same ones in the future she's already learned that lesson and is there to teach that to the other kids well and then i would argue also that in Alphabet Squadron, in in that series, she realizes that sometimes you have to make mistakes multiple times in order to get it right, and that's something that she learned from from the team in Rebels. It's not a one time thing, you know what I mean? Alphabet Squadron's so good. <laughs> Harrison Dula so is so good. Well, that's almost what I said, but oh, sorry. I, I, you know, I wish we had more of her as a main character. Yes, but I feel like like w- because we need more of that. Like there, there's some stories there. I feel like we should tell, but the the limited amount, especially when you compare it to the other characters we've talked about tonight. I mean, all we've talked about like marquee level characters, and she's not in as much stuff, but she's always good. Mm-hmm. Like, you always look forward to her being, you know, present in the stories. Dang, I'm not gonna lie. She was eighty percent of the reason. <laughs> 80% of the reason I, I, I continued reading the Alphabet Squadron series of books. That's an acceptable reason. Like, yeah. she is so good and so important in that because when those characters fail, like, they literally think about how they're disappointing Space Mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Yeah. We need... Alphabet Squadron. Uh, 
Harrison Dula, so good. All right, so share with us your uh, best and worst, best and butts crossover characters. Uh, you can do that, of course, on Twitter at Clashing Sabers, on our Instagram at Clashing Sabers, our email Clashing Sabers Network at gmail.com, or our most active space, which would be our Facebook group, which is Star Wars uh, Clashing Sabers. And you can find all of those links uh, available for you on ClashingSabers.net, and our Patreon is there as well. So um, I think we have, have pretty much covered it. We will have more content coming out soon. But until then, Drew, where can people find you? I'll be on the Twitter at the Drew Brett. You can find me there or in the Facebook group is best place to. And Lindsay, when you are uh, not trying to log into your Twitter again, where are you at? <laughs> Definitely the Facebook page or I'm not even saying this as a plug, but the Patreon page. Um or just tweet Brandon. Brandon will text me, and I'll see that. <laughs> There's a convoluted way to get things done, but yes. It works. <laughs> you got to really want it. <laughs> I will send it to lindsay.gudati at... What was it? Be real careful. What <laughs> real I'm not careful. encouraging that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's wave off on it. Batch eight. <laughs> can wait. Hold on, uh, Lindsay. Before we go, um, can you just? I need your social real quick. <laughs> what's what's uh, your mother's maiden name? And what's the first car that you drove? <laughs> what, what's your father's middle name? Yeah. I had a client oh, tell me man. yesterday that she had her boss's uh, credit card number memorized, and I was like, "Oh, you know, like I'll just process all this for you." What is that? And she started to tell me. I was like, "I'm kidding. I'm kidding." <laughs> <laughs> and the security code <gasps> alright guys um, we are gonna um, not cre- not uh, commit fraud here and we're gonna end the episode and say uh, batch 8 hi ho the podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net all sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff and we just use different informational and educational purposes bottom line we made it it's ours they made it it's theirs Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here. 